P.J. Fleck is 0-6 versus the Iowa Hawkeyes, led by Kirk Ferentz all six of those seasons and for more than a decade before that. I can't believe I'm starting off a video saying this, but Iowa is one of the most grotesque teams in the entire country. Their offense is an atrocity. They're only scoring 20.9 points per game, and that does not even describe how bad, in truth, their offense is. And how they're 6-1, and one, and they only have one conference loss to Penn State, who's one of the best teams in the country, I, I don't know how Iowa keeps doing what they're doing. The Hawkeyes, you know, typically the saying goes, this team, Team A, has found a new, creative, innovative way to win. What Iowa does is they find old and dull ways to win. And my eyes can't take any more of it. And yet I am going to be watching this game. Why? Because this might determine the West. As bad as Minnesota has looked this year and in years prior, as bad as Iowa has looked this year and in years prior, we know that the Big Ten West is one of the worst divisions in all of collegiate football, at least in, you know, the FBS. and In the FCS, these teams would obviously dominate for the most part, although Iowa did lose to North Dakota State back in 2016, and I think in either 2013 or 14, Minnesota lost to North Dakota State, or maybe it was before then, but I know Minnesota also lost to the Bison. Anyway, Minnesota, as guilty as Iowa is at looking dull, trying to be too old school to the point where it is funny yet also grotesque to watch them play, Minnesota is totally disheveled defensively. This is Joe Rossi's worst defense since 2020, and offensively, Ethan Kaliak-Manis, I thought he was going to be outside of the top 10 in Big Ten quarterbacks in the preseason. He is about living up to that expectation, except his supporting cast isn't helping him as much as I expected. And without Darius Taylor, this offense has a pretty rough time going up against any defense. Michigan humiliated them offensively. They struggled against Eastern Michigan. Nebraska held them to 13, and much of those 13 were on turnovers by Jeff Sims. North Carolina and Gene Chizik's defense held Minnesota to, I believe it was 13. The final score, yeah, was 31 to 13, I believe. Tar Heels. And Louisiana, the Ragin' Cajuns were able to lead Minnesota at halftime, I believe, 17-14. to And Iowa, we've already discussed them. Their offense is inflated, numbers-wise, by a running-up-the-score performance against Western Michigan. Penn State held them to under 100 yards. Cade McNamara is done for the season. Luke Lachey and Eric All are done for the season. Caleb Johnson, I don't know if he's totally healthy. And the defense is suffering from losing players like Jack Campbell and Lucas Van Ness from last year. This defense has taken a step back compared to last year's elite unit, which was second in scoring defense only behind Illinois. Although Illinois has totally collapsed on the defensive side of the ball, though they did get an impressive win against Maryland on the road. So the West is just, it is a 
pond full of nuclear waste at this point, and we have to enjoy it. Um, Nebraska, Minnesota, Purdue, as a Michigan fan, these are the teams that I am rooting for to succeed in case a three-way tie occurs between Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, at which point the team with the toughest um, West Division opponent arrangement will then move on to Indianapolis. But that doesn't impact my prediction here, because Fleck is 0-6 against Iowa, yet Iowa is dealing with several injuries, and Minnesota, I think, has a much higher ceiling than the Hawkeyes do. Before we continue this video, please remember to subscribe to the channel by hitting the big red subscribe button and clicking the notification bell so you can get notified when I post more Big Ten football preview and prediction videos, along with reaction and analysis videos and team-specific content. Lastly, comment your thoughts down below, your predictions, analysis, and thoughts on this game and on who you think is going to win the Big Ten West, because right now, I'd lean toward Iowa, just given the fact that Minnesota, even if they win this game, which I think is likely here, even if they win this game, they still have to travel on the road to Ohio State, which will likely be an L. Minnesota already has two losses here, likely a third, assuming they win every other game except their game against Ohio State, and they host Wisconsin, host Michigan State, you know... If Iowa loses this game but wins every other matchup and Minnesota wins here but loses to Ohio State, Iowa still has the advantage because they lost fewer conference games. So there is just so much to take into consideration, and I really want your thoughts on who you think is going to win the Big Ten West. And lastly, check out my Patreon. Today I just posted the potential power rankings for Week 8 including an example of how to use those rankings to predict different games. And tonight slash tomorrow morning, I will release my picks for all games involving two Power 5 opponents. So if you want to get insider access to picks, follow Potential Power, and even give suggestions to Potential Power. I'm learning how to make a power ranking system that works and functions. Right now, Potential Power is 50 and 39 against the spread. So if you want to get uh, my picks along with my models picks and give suggestions, make sure to click the link down below to my Patreon. And if you're an All-American or Heisman member, you will get that access. And we always thank you for your support at the end of the video. Special thanks to Chris Lane for joining the Patreon channel as an all-conference member. Your name will be added at the end of the video beginning next week when we start previewing week nine games. But this matchup here, I think, is a great chance of determining the West. Wisconsin's loss to Washington State, who's been exposed as frauds. I'm guilty of jumping on the Washington State train. And that was with Tanner Mordecai. And Mordecai is gone. He's out for the year, likely. Braden Locke, he's not very good. And I imagine if Nick Evers is not starting ahead of Locke, that's a similar situation there. So I think Wisconsin, they they face Ohio State. They already have one conference loss. They're likely losing several more games with their current situation at quarterback and also the already existing identity crisis that they've had. So this game's very important to the West. Nebraska, I'm excited to see how they do for the remainder of the season. I was unfortunately not able to preview 
their matchup against Northwestern this weekend, but I do intend to react to it. So if you're a Nebraska fan listening here, I intend to make content about you. Unfortunately, this week was just very hectic. But what about the matchup? Iowa is 6-1. and one. Minnesota is 3-3. Three and three. Um, If you just look at record and also look at rankings, Iowa's ranked 24th in the AP poll. I have them, I think, 23rd or 24th. You think that Iowa is far and away a much better team. And truth and told, Iowa is the better football team. They're the more efficient football team. But I think these two teams are much more similar than different in terms of overall performance. Iowa's ranked 19th in potential power. Minnesota's ranked 28th, but there's really only three, four, or five points separating those nine places. Um, Iowa being predicted to win by eight by my model is a byproduct of Iowa playing superior football, but also the fact that Iowa has one of the best home field advantages in all of college football. And still, they're only picked to win by eight. They're not picked to blow Minnesota out here or dominate. That is one whole possession and a two-point conversion. That's one score, a touchdown specifically, and a two-point conversion that really separates these two teams. Iowa is favored by three and a half points to win, according to the Vegas line. Um, The majority of bets on who's going to cover right now are going in favor of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. But when it comes to the money line, a, a lot of people are picking Iowa to win. And pardon me, just want to correct myself. Currently, it's the betting odds are in favor of Iowa, actually, to cover 51% to 49%. Earlier today, they were in favor of Minnesota, so I just think a lot of people hit and saw something that they liked and picked Iowa to cover. If you think that, you know, for example, Iowa's going to win by a field goal here, Minnesota would technically cover that half point. So I think three and a half, that's probably a good number if you think that it's going to be a close game that's won by a field goal. Um, If you think that Iowa's just going to come out and dominate, their offense has not been spectacular, but Minnesota's defense has allowed whether it's the likes of Northwestern or Louisiana to score on them. So part of me is convinced that anyone can score on Minnesota. There's just a lot at play, and this is a rivalry game too, so there are so many factors going in here. Iowa's given a 73.2% chance to win, according to FPI. I think that might be too aggressive. Potential power leans Iowa here, obviously, but neutral site, Iowa would only be favored by about a field goal, or maybe four, five points. And if Minnesota was at home, potential power would essentially view this game as a coin flip. So I think 73.2% chance to win. That's either just right, but part of my gut tells me that might be pushing it too much in favor of the Hawkeyes here. This game will be played in Kinnick Stadium, and 27%, so a little over one-fourth of y'all, picked Minnesota to win this game on the road. That's about 510 voters, but 1,390 voters, 73%, just under three-fourths of you guys, picked Iowa to win at home for P.J. Fleck to go 0-7 in this rivalry game, and along we move. And if Iowa wins this game, I'd say, well, good luck stopping them from reaching Indianapolis. Because Iowa's schedule... 
from here on out is not tough whatsoever. They have Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, and Illinois at home. Four home games at Nebraska. Nebraska, looking at their schedule, Nebraska on the road, I think, will be very tricky. In fact, right now, I'd actually favor Nebraska to win that matchup. Nebraska can move the ball by running. They're not a turnover machine anymore with Heinrich Harburger quarterback, and they have a top 25 defense, and it's a home game. Nebraska is going to want to continue their win streak. Iowa will want revenge, but I can't see Iowa moving the ball whatsoever on Nebraska's defense. It's different for all these other teams, and Kinnick Stadium is it's a game changer to travel to Kinnick Stadium and play Iowa versus play in your own stadium and host the Hawkeyes. I could also see Rutgers causing some trouble to Iowa. Both teams are very similar. I think Rutgers has the better offense, and Rutgers' defense is stingy enough and well-disciplined to where I don't know how Iowa's offense would perform against them. But Iowa, very realistically, if they win this game against Minnesota, could go 11-1. and One of the worst 11-1 and teams of all time, but I'd applaud them for it, and part of me would be rooting for them. You know, if they go 11-1, and that's that's quite the story, and they're probably a New Year's Six Bowl lock at that point at 11-1 and unless they, you know, lose by 60 points or 50 points in Indianapolis. 10-2 and is likely if they win this game, or even if they lose this game, I could see the Hawkeyes going 10-2. and um, Really have an easy schedule moving forward, the Hawkeyes do. For Minnesota... They play at Iowa, and then after they play Iowa on the road, there's a potential letdown spot against Michigan State at home, another potential letdown spot against Illinois once again at home, and then a road game at Purdue before traveling on the road to Ohio State on the 18th, and then the 25th, rivalry weekend, Minnesota hosts Wisconsin. They have the much tougher schedule compared to Iowa moving forward, and that's why I said earlier Iowa's the favorite to win the West. Wisconsin's still has to play Ohio State. They have to travel on the road to Minnesota. And right now they're you know traveling on the road to play at Illinois. And I guarantee you Luke Fickle probably wants that win over Ohio State more than he does over Illinois. There's a great chance that that's a trap game for the Wisconsin Badgers on the road, especially with Illinois coming off of a confidence-building win. Northwestern, I think they're... They don't have enough talent to reach Indy, and they have an interim head coach, so I'm not going to pick them. Ryan Walters and Purdue are 2-5 and five now. They're out of the picture. Nebraska, they have to travel to Wisconsin. They host Iowa at the end of the year. They host Maryland, who looks beatable. They have to travel to Michigan State, and they are they're playing Northwestern this weekend and then Purdue the following weekend. So that was kind of an out-of-order preview of a lot of these different schedules, but Nebraska's in the picture, Minnesota is, Iowa is, Wisconsin could be, but that that injury to Tanner Mordecai, even though Mordecai wasn't producing huge numbers, that's a downer for Wisconsin. I think that Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska right now have a better chance of going to Indy than Wisconsin. Potential power would disagree. Potential power actually still has Wisconsin as the highest-ranked team in the Big Ten West. A lot of that has to do with their talent, though, and the fact that 
I think Wisconsin has an elite coaching staff. I think Fickle, Trestle, and Longo are elite coaches, and coaching staff factors into potential power. Don't kid yourself. But it's hard to compensate for that severe of an injury to a quarterback, and they do have a tough schedule as well. I mean, Ohio State, having Ohio State on your schedule is tough, and they still have rivalry games to play through, like on the road at Minnesota. So their schedule does them no favors. So this game's big as I've already said countless times. And I think these teams, like I said earlier, are closer than power rankings of most kinds would let us know. And these position advantages do come from, you know, what I think and also what potential power thinks. I think Minnesota has the better staff. This isn't on Kirk Ferentz. This isn't on Phil Parker or LeVar Woods. Phil Parker and LeVar Woods are better than Joe Rossi and Minnesota's special teams coordinator, whose names that I don't know. However, I think Matt Simon and Greg Harbaugh Jr. are far and away better offensive assistants and coordinators than Brian Ferentz. Brian Ferentz really weighs down Iowa's staff here, and LeVar Woods and Phil Parker can only bring up Iowa's staff so high. And Kirk Ferentz... I respect him as a head coach. Um, he's a great maintainer of success, and you got to admire that. And he's found a formula to win at Iowa. However, I look at how the offense has fallen back, the nepotism that's been allowed at Iowa, and I, I, I'm just sorry in the sense that I don't see Kirk Ferentz as a phenomenal coach. I think that at one point it was appropriate to view him in that regard, but he's clearly approaching the downturn in his coaching tenure. With P.J. Fleck, Minnesota has plateaued over the past few seasons, and they might now be already past the peak of the roller coaster, and there might be some tough times ahead. But who knows? Minnesota at this point can still save their season. They win here. They can beat anyone except for Ohio State on the road. And if Iowa loses this game at home, they're likely losing some other games as well, whether that's to Rutgers at home or Nebraska on the road. I think Minnesota has the better staff. And I think outside of the offensive line, which was very close, I think there's an argument that Minnesota has the better offensive line, especially at tackle. I think Minnesota has the better skill position group. Ethan Kaliak-Manis, I trust him more than Deacon Hill. And... Both are not good quarterbacks, but I think that's an obvious statement. Deacon Hill has a 79.6 passer rating. Two picks, two touchdown passes. He only completes 38.6% of his passes. He's averaging 4.4 yards per attempt. That is, that's gross. Get... I I can't even process that number. We're going to move on, otherwise I'm going to stutter. Ethan Kaliak-Manis at least has 797 passing yards. He completes 55.9% of his passes, six touchdowns, six interceptions, and he has a 110.8 passer rating. He also has a 56.2 QBR, which is 78th nationally. Meanwhile, Deacon Hill is an 8.3 QBR. Again, worse than Spencer Petras, how, I don't know. We're, we're not going to question it. Let's move on. Um, at running back, I think that Iowa has a good running back room with, you know, Caleb Johnson, LaShawn Williams, but Darius Taylor right now, it seems like he's day to day. 
He's healthy enough to be on the field, walking around, but he didn't play against Michigan. Uh, Taylor, 532 rushing yards, 87 carries. He's averaging 6.1 yards per carry in his four rushing touchdowns. He plays in this game. If he was a definite factor, I'm telling you right now, I would be much more confident in Minnesota's chances. Much more confident. And potential power would be as well. Um, Probably not by as much as me and my brain would be, and me as an individual, but the model would probably move about a point in Minnesota's favor if Darius Taylor was known to be healthy. But Sean Tyler, Zach Evans, Bryce Williams, they all have over 25 carries, over 100 yards, and all those three running backs except for Tyler do have one rushing touchdown. Minnesota's rushed for 1,083 yards this year and averages 4.4 yards per carry with eight rushing touchdowns. Iowa's rushed for 916 yards, 3.9 yards per carry, and seven rushing touchdowns. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, they've played Penn State, and they've played Iowa State, and they also had some injuries at the running back room. I mean, Minnesota has played a legit defense in North Carolina, Nebraska, and Michigan, too. Iowa hasn't had the same luxury of being as healthy as Minnesota has, um, Caleb Johnson was out for several games. LaShawn Williams was behind Jason Patterson and potentially even Kamari Moulton, but he jumped up the depth chart because of how many injuries occurred to Iowa. I think Iowa has the better interior play. Minnesota has the better exterior play on the offensive line. Overall, though, with the performance that Minnesota's O-line has put on the season and also pro football focus grades— I'm going to lean Iowa slightly here at offensive line. But I do think Minnesota has more potential on the offensive line, and it wouldn't surprise me if they dominated in the trenches on Saturday. But I think Minnesota has the better running back room and the deeper running back room. Um, Bryce Williams has been there for several years. Zach Evans is a freshman, averaging nearly five yards per carry, and Darius Taylor's a true freshman, already with over 500 yards. At wide receiver and tight end, tight end would have leaned Iowa with how Minnesota's starters are performing this season, but Eric All, out for the year with a torn ACL, Luke Lachey, out for the season. I think Iowa's down to Nick Stelianos or um, a fourth-string tight end, which Iowa definitely has a fourth-string tight end, Um, but they're going down the depth chart, the Iowa Hawkeyes are. Brevin Spanford? And Nick Callerup have not had as good of seasons as they've had in the past, but they still have potential. Span Ford is a reliable receiver, and on the year he has 66 receiving yards, averaging 5.1 yards per reception on 13 receptions. Not had a good year, but he has potential. He has size, frame, he can block, um, and I think he'll have a good game at some point this year. Daniel Jackson leads the team in receptions with 22. He has five receiving touchdowns. 286 receiving yards, and if he had a better quarterback, he would have probably already broken 500 receiving yards and probably would have broken 25 or 30 receptions. Insanely reliable wide receiver. He's better than Nico Regani, Seth Anderson, Caleb Brown, anyone that Iowa has in the wide receiver room, and also the Gophers have Corey Crooms and Lameke Brockington as well at wide receiver, and Elijah Spencer. Iowa's wide receivers, Nico Regini only has 83 receiving yards. 
he leads all of Iowa's wide receivers in receiving yards. And the amount of drops, the amount of drops that Iowa receivers have had is nuts. I mean, Caleb Brown is out there. He's playing. It's also Steve. It's Steven Stilianos, not Nick Stilianos. I don't know where I got that name from, but Steven Stilianos for tight end. Pardon me. And Addison Ostrenga is another tight end to look out for, along with Hayden Large, the fullback, and Johnny Pascuzzi. With Eric All and Luke Lachey being out, I expect all those names to get appearances. Caleb Brown has been out there, like trying to catch the football, being involved, running routes, and he doesn't have a single statistic by ESPN because he's dropping balls. And it's the same thing with these other receivers. I mean, Iowa has one of the worst, if not the worst wide receiver core in the Big Ten and nationally as well. The faults are not just at quarterback. They're at wide receiver. Um, The only great rooms on offense are tight end, O-line, running back, and then wide receiver and quarterback just collapse into the ground um, for Iowa. Defensively, though, the Hawkeyes absolutely own. They've had the better defense on the season, Uh, Minnesota, for example, this year, they're allowing 26.7 points per game, which was 77th nationally. They're only scoring 21.7 points per game. Most of those, of course, come from their blowout loss to Michigan, but also losses to North Carolina, and then close wins against Eastern Michigan, Louisiana, um, and Nebraska as well. Iowa, on the other hand, is only allowing 14.9 points per game, which is 10th and they're scoring 20.9 points per game, which is just behind Minnesota in terms of scoring offense and, and points per game. A scoring offense, if you only count offensive scores, would probably go slightly more in Minnesota's favor um, compared to Iowa, but it's not much of a difference. Iowa's defense doesn't have you know a tremendous amount of pick sixes like they did in 2021, for example. They only have one pick six on the year, and they don't have any fumble recoveries for a touchdown. They do have a safety, though. They got one against Wisconsin, and they might have... I don't think they got a safety against another team this season. I think they only have one. They have 10 sacks, 8 interceptions, 24 passes deflected, and 6 forced fumbles. Minnesota, meanwhile, on the season, they have 11 sacks, 17 passes deflected, 8 interceptions, and three forced fumbles with 344 total tackles. Iowa's 528 total tackles. They are on the field longer than the Gophers are on defense. They have a worse offense that puts them in even worse positions than Ethan Kaliak-Manis could dream of, yet their defense is far and away better. And Minnesota has players like Tyler Newbin, Justin Wally, Cody Lindenberg, um, Kyler Baugh, for example, Ja Joyner, Danny Stridjo, Jack Henderson, Maverick Baranowski. I mean, they have good players, but whether it's the scheme, whether it's the execution, or maybe, you know, great players can make mistakes. And sometimes there are players that have great potential, and maybe I'm mistaking them for great players, but then they have a low floor. Maybe the defense just can't help itself but fluctuate. So there's a very high ceiling, but also a very low floor. And the mean result is, of course, an average to below average defense, despite all of the talent. Iowa's defense is so more consistent at stopping the run, at deflecting the pass, 
at making plays to get themselves off the field. And what sucks is Minnesota at least has an offense. Minnesota's problem really has been finishing all season long. I mean, they've had 11 field goal attempts. Iowa has 15, and Iowa's played in an extra game. Minnesota, when they get past the 50 in opponent territory, they stutter. I mean, they have so much talent, but all they end up doing is stalling. And that's not a way to win games, especially when your defense is inconsistent. Iowa, period, outside of O-line, their starting tight ends and running backs has no talent. None at wide receiver, none at quarterback, um, and if they do, it's wasted tremendously. Yet their defense continues to fight through adversity, and Phil Parker and LeVar Woods, I'm telling you, one of the best coordinators and one of the best special teams coordinators in all of all of college football. For a minute, I forgot that technically special teams coaches could be counted as a coordinator in their own right. So LeVar Woods and Phil Parker, they're up there. Um, if Jay Harbaugh, for example, left and wanted to get a bigger gig, maybe go to the NFL, I'd say call up LeVar Woods from Iowa and bring him to Michigan. Um, if Kirk Ferentz retires and... Phil Parker's looking for a job and he doesn't get offered the Iowa head coaching job and Jesse Minter is gone or our defensive coordinator after Jesse Minter is out, I'd say for Michigan, hire Phil Parker. I mean, there are such good assistants and coordinators at Iowa and Brian Ferentz, he who shall not be named just bathes, bathes in incompetence. Not an exaggeration there. There's, he probably sits in a tub of incompetence daily. It's crazy. Some players to watch in this game are Daniel Jackson for Minnesota and Caleb Johnson, the running back for Iowa. Caleb Johnson is a... He's a man. He is a manly man. Power football. Getting through injuries. Being healthy. Last year played under one of Kirk Ferentz's worst offensive lines and yet had over 500 rushing yards and averaged over five yards per carry with a long rush of 75. This year he has a long rush of 67, two rushing touchdowns. He's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry, though. A lot of that had to do with the fact that he was playing through an injury earlier against Purdue. He had 134 rushing yards for 7.9 yards per carry. Against Wisconsin, he had 35 rushing yards for 2.1 yards per carry. That Wisconsin game was crazy, by the way. It was Iowa's run game at the end of the day that helped them win because Iowa used LaShawn Williams, who had a long rush of 82 um, and averaged 7 yards per carry, and that 82-yard rush got them a touchdown. It was an 82-yard rushing touchdown for the Hawkeyes. The run game also allowed Iowa to chew up the clock and have them come out with a win. Really, Iowa won that game 15-6, to a game where when Minnesota kicked those two field goals in the third quarter, I thought Minnesota was going to come back and win. But turnovers, whether it was a fumble, whether it was an interception, whether it was failing to convert on downs, it was, it was a sad day to be a Badger. I mean, Wisconsin passed for 50 times. 50 times! And Iowa held them to less than five yards per attempt and got an interception. But Caleb Johnson, LaShawn Williams, that's a legitimate running back room that can compete, you know, with Darius Taylor, Sean Tyler, Zach Evans, and, and Bryce Williams. But 
I think for Johnson, Minnesota's defense this season allowed Nebraska to run on them. Michigan was able to gash them on the ground at times. North Carolina with Amari and Hampton, who quietly is one of the better running backs in the ACC in all of college football this season. He could run on Minnesota. Minnesota typically is very good at stopping the pass. In fact, that's their specialty under Joe Rossi. That last year and in 2021 was being a lead against the pass. But they're still typically great against the run. That's not the case this season. So can Caleb Johnson and LaShawn Williams, you know, punch Minnesota in the mouth, control the game, get some big plays on the ground, and really open the can of worms that seems to be Minnesota's defense? We'll have to see. And for Minnesota, it's Daniel Jackson. I don't know if Darius Taylor is going to be healthy. And if he isn't, uh, good luck, Minnesota. If he does not play in this game, you can you can pencil in Iowa winning, whether it's by 3 or 10 or, my goodness, you know, help us. If <laughs> Help us if Iowa beats Minnesota by double digits. The, the, the Minnesota fan base would be rabid at P.J. Fleck. But that's just my thoughts. And there is still a pathway for Minnesota to win this game even if the run game isn't great, or even if Darius Taylor doesn't play, it's just very unlikely. But that pathway to win, regardless of Darius Taylor's health, I think is Daniel Jackson. And I think it's Ethan Kaliakmanis throwing it short, gaining yards that Iowa will let Minnesota gain. And Minnesota could win this game kicking field goals. I mean, yeah, their defense for Minnesota isn't great this season, but Iowa's offense is horrendous. They struggled to score 20 against Purdue. Penn State shut them out, forced several turnovers, and look, Penn State has an elite defense. It might be the best defense in the country. Getting shut out is it's unacceptable if you're a program like Iowa who right now is in the top 25 and who prides itself upon, you know, competing at least for a divisional championship. You can't have that. Um just I'm sorry for pausing there, but Minnesota, their pathway to win is passing the football short, get the tight ends involved, have pass protection, because frankly, Minnesota's offensive line is, they've only allowed Kaliak Manis to be sacked eight times. This includes facing North Carolina, who has a pass rush, Nebraska, who has a great defense, who has a pass rush, and Michigan, who once again has a pass rush. They, they face legitimate defenses, and in the pass protection game, they've held up pretty competently. It's on the interior of the offensive line where the Gophers have had some struggles. Um, and that's part of the fact due to Quinn Carroll, for example. Last year was a tackle. This year he was converted to guard. So there's been some offensive line conversions that have gone on to help make up for the lack of depth surrounding center Nathan Bowie. So I think the key for Minnesota to win this game is passing. This doesn't mean bombs, because I doubt Minnesota will get a long pass against Iowa. In fact, it's more likely that Deacon Hill probably gets a bomb on on Minnesota's defense, seeing how they've performed. But if Daniel Jackson can get involved, you know, just pick up five, six, seven, eight, maybe occasionally ten or more yards, and Minnesota can you know, use the run in the past to open up each other. Meanwhile, Iowa's offense, there's a good chance that they'll struggle to score 14 or 21 or 17 points against Minnesota anyway. 
that could be a pathway for a 17 to 12 or 17 to 13 or 17 to 14 win for PJ Fleck. However, Iowa, as I've mentioned earlier in this video, finds old, boring, inept, and just exhausting ways to win. I don't know how they do it. Well, I know how they win. You can thank Phil Parker. You can thank LeVar Woods. You can thank Kirk Ferentz for employing them and keeping them at the University of Iowa. Um, but something that I think we forget, and this is going back to my idea of, you know, old, boring ways to win. They're old, they're boring, they seem inept and often are inept, but it's a system that works. And I think the reason that a lot of people underestimate Iowa, myself included, I'm inclined to I'm actually inclined to pick Minnesota to win here. I'm just going against what my gut and what my brain tells me. I think a lot of people think that you cannot win unless you have at least an average offense. People don't realize that offense and defense are, especially now, um, equally as important. There was a moment, I think, in the 2010s where there was either an illusion of or a statistical backing of the fact that offense was slightly more important than defense. And before then, it was pretty much always defense was more important than offense, or at least that was the notion. That's why the saying defense wins championships is popularized. But now we have sort of come back down to earth from the whole era of the spread, the spread option, the no huddle spread option, and now we're in the era of you know, the pro spread and defenses have caught up. There's, you know, the 326, the 425, the 335. You know, the Big Ten is Wisconsin and Nebraska runs 335 defenses. Michigan and Ohio State run 425s. Penn State runs a 43, but one that can adapt to a 425. And, you know, Iowa runs a 43, but one that can adapt to a 425. So defenses have adapted. And I think that Iowa has one of the best defenses and one of the best special teams units in all of college football. Minnesota doesn't have the best of anything right now. And at least for Iowa, there is confidence, absolute confidence in their defense and special teams. Earlier in the video, when we were breaking down position advantages and it was five to five, that really doesn't tell the story because both offenses are fighting for ineptitude. When it comes to skill positions, the only area where they're really known to be great at or good at is offensive line for both teams and wide receivers for Minnesota, running backs for both teams, and tight ends when healthy. But quarterback, horrible, and the the efficiency level of those offenses is, is just straight out bad. Defensively, Iowa currently has a pretty sizable advantage over Minnesota at every position outside of safety, where... Minnesota has Tyler Newman. So Iowa has home field advantage. Their roster right now is playing at a better level. Their coaches are doing a better job of utilizing the talent and skill that is on the Hawkeyes team. I think Iowa's defense and special teams will win this game. And one of Iowa's receivers, I don't know if this will be Nico Regani. I don't know if this will be Seth Anderson. 
one of those two, maybe Deontay Vines, will break 100 yards on the season in this game. I think that Deacon Hill will get a long a long pass of over 20, 25, or 30 yards in this game. Uh, for example, um, Alex Padilla, nearly forgot his name, had a, I think, over 50-yard touchdown pass to um, Charlie Jones in 2021 against Minnesota. And Deacon Hill does have, he does have a strong arm and a big frame. His problem is he has, you know, horrendous accuracy. Um, but I think one of Iowa's wide receivers will break 100 total receiving yards on the season during this game. Minnesota will rush for over 100, maybe for even more than 150. I think that Minnesota, if Darius Taylor is healthy, will rush for probably over 150. I'm keeping it over 100, though, but not 150, because I don't know for certain if he's healthy. If I knew for a fact that he was playing against Iowa, I'm telling you right now, I'd pick Minnesota to win, but that uncertainty at running back at Minnesota's best position and the fact that Minnesota as a team is uncertain forces me to pick a team that we're certain. We're certain who Iowa is. We are. They will be phenomenal defensively, phenomenal at kicking and punting, and they'll be great at making adjustments in those areas. For Minnesota, we still don't really know who they are as a team outside of the fact that when Darius Taylor is healthy, they can run the football. Fleck will fall to 0-7 against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa will be 7-1. They'll take the driver's seat in the Big Ten West. Minnesota will fall to 3-4. Thank you so much for watching this video, and I want to give a quick shout-out to my Patreon followers, Spencer Bringhurst and Noah DDLC, my All-American patrons, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, Matthew Sale, and Chris Lane are all conference patrons. Chris... Thank you for joining once again. You're always engaged in the comment section on our live videos, and I appreciate that very much. Your name will be added to this final slide starting next week. That's when I update these slides for thanking our Patreon supporters. Check out my page via the link in the description, and thank you all for watching. I'll see you around.